Hello and welcome back to Building Conversations, the podcast where we talk about all things architecture, from past favourite projects and current industry news to the future of the global built environment. I'm Alison Carter and next to me here is my co-host Nav. Hi. We're also joined by Hannah who we'll be featuring in a few episodes. Hello. So for today's episode we're going to be taking a deep dive into World Architecture News' vault digging out some of our favourite stories that we've covered with a particular focus on world's first and world's largest. Great idea, Nab. From crematoriums to swimming pools, the last few years have been full of new ideas and innovations that have allowed architects to push boundaries and try new things. If you do want to take a look at the articles and the stunning images that accompany them while you listen, all of the links can be found in the episode description. So let's get started. So, Alison, as editor of World Architecture News, you get to cast your eye over all of the projects that we have covered. What has been your favourite world's first? There are many. And I think all of us have really unearthed some gems here. My first one I want to talk about is the world's first passive house hospital, which I think is fabulous because we all think of passive house certification just for houses, but Mm -hmm. it's brilliant to see that it's expanding out. This is a hospital that is located in Frankfurt in Germany. It's got 664 beds, 10 operating theatres. So it's a big big hospital. It's a big hospital. Yeah. Completed in 2021. And it can hold heat for 10 to 14 days because it escapes so slowly Mm. because they've done tests to check where the air holes are and passive house buildings the utility costs are now predictable which I think in this era of belt tightening being very aware of the cost of energy is really critical and a passive house and I am reading from some notes here because I just think it's a brilliant figure consumes 90 percent less heating energy wow, than an existing building that is massive and you think about all of the energy that is used by hospitals you know for yes. all of the surgery equipment and the sterilizing and they and have the to keep them at a certain temperature yeah so I just think this is a really good advance for healthcare yeah absolutely Hannah what's your first My first is the world's first coral conservation facility and it's in Australia and it's the first proper attempt at saving the coral that's dying um, globally. So it protects over 800 species of the world's hard corals. And how is it doing it? It's a facility that people can study it. It's being studied, the corals, to try and work out how to save them and what they mm-hmm. need and save what can bleaching. be done. That's what yes, the, yeah, yeah. The and to stop the salinity levels in the, yeah. in the water from killing them and things like that. But also visitors can come to it and you can observe the coral through the glass but not harm it, yeah, crucially. Yeah, not in that invasive way that people have been doing by going like scuba diving and snorkeling down there to look at it and then you know treading all over it and yeah exactly Uh, I mean I've been very lucky and I've actually seen it from a glass bottom boat 25 years ago but it is an amazing spectacle of nature and as soon as I hear of the bleaching I think what can we do so I'm so pleased to hear this is yes I'm kind of surprised that it's the first Mm. of its kind really 
Another interesting thing it does is that you can have your wedding down there oh, nice. um, and look out at the coral. I personally don't want it to become too customer focused mm. because then it sort of becomes again about serving our own interests. It's yeah. about the coral, not us. Mm. But if the money made by hosting events can be then reinvested into studying the coral, yeah. then I'm... the star I'm, of the show, really. Yeah, 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 then, yeah. Then I think that works well. Great. I can see what you mean. It's kind of like we've gone from being so desperate to see it that we're destroying it to now having a facility built just so we can see it even more. Keep the education focus there yeah. rather than just making it a viewing platform. Yeah, and I think they do. They merge the study but also learning I think schools can come yeah, in and, really and learn then. about it mm. yeah now so my world's first is the world's first environmentally friendly facility that converts the dead into soil crazy I think it's a really nice idea that even after you've passed you can grow into something new and yeah. and I think for the loved ones and carers yeah that will really help yeah it's kind of like how you have memorial benches in parks and which, are, stuff. which are you know dead wood yeah, exactly. So now you've got a living thing that has grown from a living thing. It's very poetic. It's quite, mm. Yeah, it's very poetic. It's and a cycle of life, isn't it? Exactly. And it's a sustainable solution to typical cremations. It uses one eighth of the energy of cremation and saves over one metric ton of carbon dioxide per person. So it's quite nice that not only are you creating life, but you're doing it in a way that is saving the planet as well you're not using energy on the way out exactly where are these trees being planted or grown is it somewhere where you so i think at the facility they have grounds where the trees are then planted and stuff and they've they've got all of the equipment that converts the remains into soil in about 30 days and then you get planted and yeah and where is it now um, it's in Seattle in the United States. I think what's slightly strange about this story, though, is that it looks as if the trees are being planted inside a sort of concrete facility, which yeah, does yeah. take away the sort of natural... The story that we've got on our website just has renders and stuff because it was still in its right, process okay. of being designed. But the idea of the design was to kind of have that sort of inside-out sort of look where they've got like the wooden panels on the walls and stuff to kind of make it seem like you're outside when you're inside Mm because it's kind of that sort of link between us and nature kind Mm. of flowing through the whole thing like yes you're inside a building but it feels like you're outside yes this person has passed away but they are growing to grow into something new and living right so it's kind of creating that link all throughout the experience and just briefly one story that i really think is worth looking at just for the images is denmark's first national park visitor center this is a really good way of involving a visitor center into the actual landscape that it's talking about because you can see the building has been wedged into a dune yeah oh a sand dune a sand dune yeah it's like a gentle slope like a gentle you can, slope if yeah you, if you look at it from the right angle you wouldn't even know that there is a building no, in there no wow. and i think this is really good because so many of those visitor centers really do stick out yeah. don't they in the environment that we're all supposed to be admiring so yeah. this for me was a great interpretation of a building that is built for the people to actually admire the area that yeah, they're in for right its then. function. Yeah. yeah, and it's serving its purpose. Like it's not just an eyesore in the middle of a place to be like, no, oh, come and no, get your information exactly. here. You wouldn't really know it was there. Yeah. And Can yet, visitors walk yes. over the roof? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and it's cool. got huge glass windows so they can see the sea. So I think this wins for me as a mm. visitor centre first. Yeah, that's somewhere that I'd like to visit personally. 
So Alison, I can see you've got some notes on Another World's First there that you look like you were just bursting to tell us about. I have indeed. And it's the world's first 3D printed raw earth house. Mm. This is a building that responds to climate emergency, the need for sustainable homes and the global issue of emergency housing. And it's well worth a read. It's a circular economy housing model. And what stood out for me was that it was put together by 3D printing. So let me give you some stats because I love a stat. Please do. I love a stat as well. So Tecla is made entirely in Italy. It can be delivered within 200 hours of printing and 7,000 machine codes. I mean, I can go on. 60 cubic metres of natural materials for an average consumption of less than six kilowatts. That's quite something. That's really something special, isn't it? Yeah. I think that project is really cool, actually, because it's using the raw earth as the building material. So, I mean, not only is it a very sustainable way of creating a house, but it's also a cheaper and quicker way to do it as well. Mm. And it's near zero emission, which you're not often going to get. It sounds perfect, really. Yeah. It should be happening more. So that's my final one anyway. But it's a very good one. Very good high to leave you on. Yeah, for sure. And 3D printing is always really exciting to see because, I mean, it's one of those things where it's kind of like it's been the big innovation of the last few years. But, I mean, the projects are still a bit slow out the door, aren't they? Like Mm. we... We see a few spotted around here Mm. and there, but I mean, this one really... It's definitely momentum gathering on this. Yeah, exactly. And the fact that this project is the result of eco-sustainability research really shows, I think, that it is a commercial option. Yeah. So, And and of course, we had that podcast, didn't we, earlier about building on the moon, and this was what they were saying they would have to do, 3D 3D printing from the Earth on the moon. So, uh, yeah, that's my final thought on the firsts. I like it. So moving on from the world's first, we're going to have a look at the world's largest, tallest and highest. So how would you like to swim in the world's highest 360 degree infinity pool? Slowly. (laughs) You wouldn't want to hit the end, would you, at any speed? Yeah, I'm not sure. I think I'd try it. It would be somewhere that I'd go for an hour. It would not be my regular to do some laps. I'm sure there'd be some brilliant views from up there, which would be stunning. But Yeah, absolutely. So it's in Dubai. And I mean, I can't swim, but if I could, I would be up there. It's on the 50th floor of the Nikhil Palms Tower. And it's 200 metres high. That's high. So you would get some really good views from up there. The only concern I would have is maybe it would get a bit hot up there. Yeah, True. Yeah, that's very in good Dubai. point. I mean, but I mean, you're in water, so yeah, you'll, you'll be cool. Isn't that kind of like prime time to get a sunburn is when you're... You do, water. yeah. You feel it. Yeah. yeah. And the sun bounces off the water, which, yeah, it kind of doubles the amount of sun you get. Yeah, maybe it's like a seasonal thing. You know how a lot of the tourist attractions and stuff in Dubai don't open until sort of late September so that the temperatures have cooled down Mm. I I think June this is seven. one of those things where you go in for a picture and you never go there again. Oh, really? I I can imagine it being really packed, everyone kind of jostling for the best view and not much swimming gets done. 
because yeah, it's such a stunning thing yeah where it's like an infinity pool with like glass walls and stuff you would get that typical picture of you like leaning over looking at the view yeah and exactly would as you... well i mean something to consider is if you're i mean it's an infinity pool so it's not got like the high walls or anything like that to stop the water from spilling over yeah yeah, that's an odd one. I think an infinity pool <laughs> that high up could be quite unnerving. I wonder what they've done for safety, because... Netting. <laughs> Do you think netting <laughs> underneath? I honestly don't know. Yeah. I don't, but it's but not... as an architectural product from an amazing design, yeah. Yeah. it ticks all the boxes, doesn't it? And it's a yeah, sort of for the touristy seekers. thing that you would really... Make no. a point of going to. Exactly. It probably isn't for your weekly laps. No. But I'd like to try it. I mean, I'm somewhat of an adrenaline junkie. I quite like heights. If I could swim, I'd be swimming up there at least once in my life. So Hannah, what have you got for us? So what? mine is also a world's highest. Nice. And it's in Switzerland and it is the world's highest freestanding chocolate fountain. Oh, take now me we're talking. there. Yeah. So it's at the Lint HQ. Of course, where else? Mm. And it's basically in the shape of a whisk of chocolate. So oh, it's, and the it's like pouring. Off of it. Yeah, it's running oh, nice. off off the whisk. And like they have in the adverts with like the chocolatier guy, and he's like, yeah, exactly. It whisk and he... So it's nine point three meters high. Oh wow! And it circulates one thousand liters of liquid chocolate. Oh, this is giving me such Charlie and the Chocolate Factory vibes mm. with like the chocolate river. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, no, exactly. So visitors can can walk around and in one of the rooms they ask questions about the future of chocolate. Pretty strong, I'd say. And <laughs> yeah, they ask the the visitors three questions and the first question is whether chocolate would cease without cocoa trees altogether, which I feel like is a fairly obvious answer of surely yes. There are cocoa alternatives, aren't there? Yeah. Okay. Check them at all cost. We need, we need cocoa trees. The second one they ask is whether they think artificial intelligence will change chocolate production. They go quite deep quite quickly, don't I they? I know, I know. No, I think if a robot can do it, we'll keep the robot doing it. And then lastly, how the chocolate industry can be made more carbon neutral. So it's good that they're looking... And they want visitors to know the answers to these. Yeah, I think they do. They put them on the wall and you're meant to just sort of ponder them. Oh, okay. So it's kind of just yeah. a, a thought-provoking okay, exercise. Ponder. Yeah. I mean, chocolate would still exist without cocoa trees because you've got white chocolate and that's... I know, but that's not, not real chocolate, is it? Because it's not I like cocoa. It. But that's what I just mean. Just because it's... you like it now doesn't mean it's real. <laughs> but that's what I mean. It will still exist. Yeah, but this is like when you have some kind of like fake chicken. Yeah, I don't what? want the I'm fake. What? I'm a vegetarian. I'm what? <laughs> I want the real thing. I got a bit lost at chicken there. I thought we were on chocolate. <laughs> but yeah, so those are the three questions. To be fair, on that point, have you tried chocolate from like Australia and the US? They have no. lower cocoa really concentration. Tastes, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Does it, does it lose and I lived abroad, I used to take 15 bars of dairy milk with me. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, yeah. even the dairy milk recipes in England, though, have changed now. They have reduced the amount of sugar, but right. I don't taste it. And I have been tasting it for quite a while. Oh. So, um, what a brilliant fountain. So, can people eat from this chocolate fountain? Yeah, that's what I was um, <laughs> I don't know if you can eat from the really high one, but there is another room where there's different compositions of white chocolate, milk chocolate and dark chocolate, and you can taste those oh, ones. Nice. See, that's a team building exercise, isn't it? Yeah, yeah you can have white, I'll have milk. Alison, do you like dark chocolate? Not really, but I it's like supposed to be chocolate. good for you, dark chocolate. At least it that's is. what I tell yeah. myself. It's yeah. like, I like dark chocolate. Okay. 
No. I'll, I'll eat the milk. And, uh, no, I'll eat all three. It will be a difficult day at work, but I think <laughs> we'll manage it. As we begin to enter the summer holiday season, lovely. Join us next week to find out what we want from our holidays, from airport expectations to hotel design and amenity offerings. So thanks for listening, and talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.